Go ahead, shake that jar of sprinkles and celebrate your role as a mom. I'm Stephanie Fleece. And I'm Michelle Fortin with City Moms Blog Network. And our hope is that the next 40 minutes or so bring a smile to your face, a skip to your step, and a sprinkle or two to your mundane. This is Just Add Sprinkles, Celebrating Motherhood, a podcast by City Moms Blog Network. Hey, y'all. We have a really special episode for you today. We sure do. Steph, you had the opportunity to speak with one of my favorite people, Stacey Skryzak. I did. Uh, Stacey is an incredible woman and professional and mom. Uh, She's the mother to a five-year-old girl who just went to kindergarten uh, and is a surviving triplet. Uh, Her other two babies are angel babies. Yeah, it's a really tough story. And mamas, you're going to want to get some tissues um, ready for this one because everybody cries. <laughs> yeah. Steph cries, Stacy cries, I cry, everyone cries. Yeah. Um, but you know, Stacy is really using her platform for so much good. And I'm so excited that our listeners get to hear from her. You know, I think she mentioned this to you in the interviews. Stuff, but we yeah. used to anchor the news together in central Nebraska. I did know that. <laughs> <laughs> it had to be an extremely exciting time in your lives, Nebraska. Well, yes, it was very glamorous. I'm not going to lie. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was the opposite of glamorous. But she was the morning anchor and I was the weekend anchor for NTV News in Kearney, Nebraska. Lots of fond memories sharing grain prices tornado warnings, and of course, Husker football. <laughs> Husker football. I feel like I, I wish I could sing the Husker football like yeah. theme song. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, you know, here's one of my, my most embarrassing stories is the first time, I was so nervous anchoring the news for the first time um, in Nebraska, and I was introducing the sports guy, and Uh-oh. I wanted to sound really knowledgeable, and I introduced him as having, the, having some news about the corn hunker team. No. I never I never lived it down. My dad still will say to me, like, how are those corn hunkers doing? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not even Nebraska native, nor do I have any ties to Nebraska other than my sister-in-law. Hi, sister-in-law Amy, who does love the hunkers or the huskers. They are pretty hunky, though, you know. <laughs> but from a Midwest girl... That's embarrassing, Michelle, that you called it the corn hunker. I know. I have a lot more embarrassing stories from that time in my life. We'll talk about that another time. But that that one's there at the top. But you know what? Stacy stayed my friend through it. And we've stayed in touch through the years. And her journey to parenthood was not easy. And she shares that in the interview. And it does include tragedy, but it also includes hope. And everyone's definitely going to stay tuned for every word of her story. Yeah, and before we get to my conversation with Stacy, uh, this episode of Just Add Sprinkles is made possible today by our sponsor, Chasing Fireflies. Uh, Chasing Fireflies is an awesome website where kids and parents can choose from hundreds of incredibly unique and unforgettable costumes. Yes, yes. Steph and I, we got to pick costumes for our kiddos on ChasingFireflies.com. And this Halloween, I will have a Southern veil complete with a hoop skirt and a parasol (laughs) and a Star Wars stormtrooper. And my girls picked out gumball machine costumes. Cute. (laughs) Which I'm so excited that we always have them kind of theme and match and they're all just going to be like waddling around with gumball machines. It's going to be great. That's going to be Instagram worthy for sure. 
<laughs> for sure. <laughs> well, it really is a fantastic site with a ton of cute costume ideas that I've never even seen before, like gumball machines. So cute. Yeah. Chasing Fireflies encourages kids to be kids for as long as they can. They believe, and I love this, in using your imagination, playing dress up, and most of all, having fun. So stay tuned to the end of this podcast for how you can get your hands on some of their, get this stuff, irresistible costumes. <laughs> Irresistible costumes. Irresistible. (laughs) Well, uh, the most popular day in October is arguably Halloween, which we just spoke to. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's also the host of National Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day on October 15th. Yeah, and knowing that was coming, we knew that Stacey Skryzak would be an excellent mom to speak on this topic. As we mentioned in our conversation earlier, Stacey is a television news anchor and a writer in Illinois, but... She says that her proudest, proudest role is becoming a mom after years of infertility. That's right. She's a mom to a 22-weeker surviving triplet hmm. and two babies in heaven. And even though two of her children were only alive for a short time, her triplets have touched thousands of people around the world. Through her blog, Stacy has become a voice for infertility, premature birth, and child loss. Uh, these days, she sprinkles in the trials and tribulations of raising a daughter who was once nicknamed the diva of the NICU. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to my conversation with Stacy. Hey, Stacy, welcome to the Just Add Sprinkles podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. I am so thrilled to have you because you and my co host of this podcast, Michelle Fortin, are friends. Tell me a little bit about how you know Michelle. Well, we go way back, back to our young days when we were young reporters uh, living in Nebraska. Both of us are not from uh, the heartland, and we found ourselves in television together. So we go way back, and we've had a great time uh, running into each other over the years and getting to see our children grow up. Uh, they're they're just a few years apart. And now you are still in the heartland. I love that you called it the heartland. I am, yes. <laughs> I'm, I guess you could say Midwest heartland. I do. I live in Illinois, and uh, I'm in Springfield, Illinois, though outside of the city limits, we're surrounded by corn and soybeans. So it still is a, a lot of agriculture out here. Yeah. Well, girl, I, I'm i a Midwestern girl. I grew up in Iowa and uh-huh. I live in Minneapolis now. And so just you calling it the heartland makes my heart pitter-patter a little bit. It oh, makes well, me feel good. like the heart of this country is the Midwest. <laughs> it is. It is. That's awesome. Well, um, outside of that role of being um, a news anchor, you know, because that's no big deal by any means, <laughs> um, you're a mom uh, of three. And tell me about your kiddos. All right. Well, yes, I am a mom to triplets, and it was not a planned, <laughs> a planned pregnancy like that. My husband and I, we faced years of infertility, and unfortunately, uh, our only option was going through the in vitro fertiliz- fertilization route. And um, IVF, you, I didn't know much about it. I mm-hmm. knew that, you know, when I was in my 20s, you don't want to get pregnant. I wanted to move my career. My husband and I moved around the country, and I had no plans of having children when I was younger. And then it's, you spend so many years trying not to get pregnant. And then when you're ready, you assume it should happen because I mean, that's what society tells us. And unfortunately, my husband and I faced years of infertility. Uh, My health, I had a lot of issues and we found that we really couldn't have children without some help. We tried fertility drugs that didn't work. And eventually our only route was IVF. And that was the route we went through. And we uh, hoped for 
twins because they implanted two embryos and triplets were never discussed but um <laughs> we went in for that ultrasound and I'll never forget uh we heard baby A's heartbeat they were doing well and then there was a baby B and we were just ecstatic because here we are you know ready to have our one and done two kids that's perfect uh -huh. and then suddenly the ultrasound tech said and there's a baby C heartbeat and I just was in shock. My jaw was on the ground. My husband had this huge smile on his face. And uh, the fertility doctor, I think, was even more shocked than I was. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well, triplets. I mean, that's pretty intense. Like, how long did that take you for, you for your heart to calm down and be like, okay, three babies? Uh, years, even now. <laughs> it was just one of those crazy things where it was never even really discussed because the chances were somewhere around 2 to 3% chance. And wow. what happened was one of the embryos split. So we had two identical girls and mm -hmm. a boy. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I look back at our pregnancy and it was picture perfect. And it was... It was just amazing. I had that glow. I was in my early, mid-30, I believe 33 years old. So mm -hmm. I was I was ready after years of seeing so many of our friends have children. Here we were having triplets, which nothing is normal with me anyways and my health. So it shouldn't come as a surprise that, you know, of course I was carrying three children at once. And I had a great pregnancy, but unfortunately um, uh, things turned when I was about 18 weeks along and uh, we never imagined that we would eventually lose two of our children. So mm. we are we are parents to uh, one surviving triplet, Peyton, and our son Parker passed away when he was two months old in the NICU at 55 days. And our daughter Abigail, she passed away about two hours after birth. Mm. And now you did not have any speculation like up until you said 18 weeks that the babies were anything but healthy. Yes. I had a perfect pregnancy. I loved it. I have, when I look back at pictures, it's just some of my favorite moments, those months of having that glow and the shock when people said, are you about due? And I'll say, no, I'm 15 weeks along, but with the triplets because I looked full term <laughs> uh, and I, I just loved it. But I went in for, uh, at an 18 week uh, appointment, just thinking that you know, I'm going on a plane, I better get checked out. And I did have a lot of doctors working with me because it was a high risk pregnancy. And when I look back at the videos of uh, when I announced on television that I was pregnant, the first thing I said was, please say prayers for, you know, for, for my family, because this is going to be a very difficult pregnancy. Hmm. And we need those prayers because it's very high risk. And at 18 weeks, my cervix started giving out. And my daughter, Abigail, she was the lowest one and she was about to be born. So surgeons were able to go in and save all three of my children and um, and do an emergency surgery. And I started bed rest. I was in and out of the hospital. And unfortunately, at 20 weeks along, my water broke with Abigail. So I was on bed rest and every day we just prayed for a miracle. And mm. we had that goal of getting to 23 weeks because that was the goal that would give us a chance of life. Most hospitals won't even consider a baby viable until they reach 23 or 24 weeks. Mm. And so we just wanted to get to that point where we might have a shot of our children surviving. And 
at 22 weeks and five days, I went into labor. And I look back and we have shadow boxes of all three of our children in our daughter Peyton's room. And there's these little chain links that you, that show how many days one of the nurses, when I was on bed rest, put together all the chains like you would do if you were going to Disneyland or back Mm -hmm. to school. And it was, let's get to 23 weeks. And I still have those two chains, chain links together in our shadow box showing that I didn't quite make it to viability. And so you went into labor in 22 weeks and five days, and uh, you said the first baby that was born was Abigail, right? Mm -hmm. Because you were saying she was the lowest, I would assume. Um, And tell me a little bit about that, the labor, you know, and delivery process of that. It was very scary because everything happened so quickly. And I had been on on hospital bed rest, so we did have a team of doctors and neonatologists from the NICU that were ready, knowing that uh, triplets would be arriving, but hoping it would be 23 or 24 weeks along. Mm-hmm. And this happened, it was a weekend, and it was just a, a lot of chaos. And I could tell something was off with my body, and sure enough, it was labor. And... It was just a scary and surreal feeling because you're laying there wondering what's going to happen, knowing that I'm going to deliver my children in a matter of minutes or hours, and knowing that most likely my children are going to die. Mm. And it was early morning. It was 22 weeks, six days in the early morning hours, uh, just after four when my daughter Abigail was born. And she came out kicking and she squeaked because she was so premature Mm. that she... uh, she, she couldn't make a scream, but she did come out kicking and squeaking. And the doctors tried, they intubated her and they tried to get her oxygen levels up. But unfortunately, she was just too weak. Yet when I look back, she was the strongest of the bunch because she was fighting from week 18 on. She made it almost five more weeks and saved her brother and sister's life. Mm. And so we had to lay there and watch our child die in our arms. We held her in about two hours after she was born. They called her time of death. Mm. And my contractions slowed down a bit. And so they were able to doctors give me steroid shots, which helps with premature uh, premature lungs. And as my contractions slowed, we just laid there in this surreal state of watching one child that had already passed and wondering when my other two would be born. Mm. And so then who was born next? I was uh, extremely sick. And we now know that I had an infection and my body was going into septic shock. So they had to induce me about 17 hours later. Wow. And I, uh, I remember right before my children were born asking the doctor that delivered Abigail. And I said, is there any chance? Do you think there's any chance that they will be born alive. And she looked at me, didn't say a word, and she just shook her head no. So I assumed my children would die. And Mm. Peyton was next, the identical sister, and she didn't make a kick or a squeak. And then shortly after was our son, Parker. And I was so sick that doctors whisked me away and I went into surgery. And I had no idea that two of my children were taken to the NICU. I didn't know they were alive. And at that same moment, my mom was in town helping out from bed rest days, and my husband was there. And it was just those two. We don't have family in town. Mm -hmm. So those two were sitting there wondering, my husband, if he was going to lose all three of his children and his wife in one night, or 
if he was going to lose a wife and have to raise two premature babies by himself. Mm. And then I have my mother laying there sitting next to me wondering if I was going to survive and if she was going to lose her daughter and grand grandchildren all in one day. And it was a miracle. The doctors did wonderful things and saved my life. And I woke up in the NICU or rather ICU mm. and my two children, they were in the NICU and it, it started a a very difficult journey for us as we tried to grieve one baby that we had lost mm -hmm. as I tried to gain strength. And one of those moments we'll never forget in our lives. Wow. I, um, you know, one of the considerations that I truthfully have never even thought of is what you just spoke to about your mom's like fear of losing a child and grandbabies all at the same time. I mean, oh my gosh. That has got to be one of the more difficult experiences of yeah. all you know, all of y'all's lives. Definitely. And my, my mother and I are extremely close. Mm -hmm. So it's, she's very emotional with me and she knows because even five years later, you know, the grief never goes away. You just learn to live with it. Mm -hmm. And my mom and I hold this extremely special bond because she was there during those days and she does grieve much like me just mm -hmm. as the grandmother, whereas my husband grieves differently. He's, he's a man and they oftentimes men grieve very differently from women. And mm -hmm. for him, his way of working through the grief was to go to work the day after our daughter's funeral oh. and to be that strong person for me. And so to see my mother and, and she's very open with me and she, it, it helps me and it helps her. I think when we talk a lot about our children, but she's the only one of our family other than myself and my husband that actually met our daughter, Abigail. She held her as mm. she was alive and held her as she passed away. Now tell me about when did you have to start thinking about like the just burial and making those decisions about Abigail. It's, it's a really some, a difficult decision and what to do because I had no idea. I didn't know many people that had lost a child. I knew friends right. that had lost a child through miscarriage. I had never met anyone that had lost a child after they were born. Mm. And I remember after about five days, my husband and I, we, we weren't sure what to do we had been very public with our pregnancy and people expect our weekly pregnancy bump pictures or updates from the, from the, uh, maternity floor. Mm -hmm. And when we were laying there and I was released back to the maternity floor, I was starting to get healthy about five days later. We said, what do we do? Do we stay silent or do we share that we lost a child publicly. And I decided that, you know what, we had so much support, let's be public. And I remember writing up and sharing a picture of our daughter, Abby, and sharing the heartbreaking news that one of our children did not make it. And on that same day, we were visited by staff asking, what, what do you plan to do with your daughter? And I said, what? And they mm. said, your daughter, Abigail, she's, she's downstairs in the morgue. And it's just an awful feeling to not know, you know, I, at that moment, I felt like I was a child going, how, how am I, how is it possible that I'm adult enough to be making these decisions of what to bury of to where to send my child, what funeral home and to plan a funeral. And luckily my, my parents were in town and my in-laws and, and they helped us through it, but it's something no parent ever plans. You know, a child should outlive 
their parents, not mm. the other way around. Right. And I just can't imagine the vastness of emotion that y'all had to have been going through as you're having to make those incredibly difficult decisions that you weren't planning for at all with Abby. Um, but then your son and daughter are fighting for their lives as well at that point. So it's like, you've got a, you've got such, such a dichotomy of mm -hmm. emotions. I, uh, now your son, mm -hmm. uh, he was born, you said third and mm -hmm. Peyton second. Um, tell me about just their time in the, um, hospital. All right. It was at the NICU is a special place. It's a place that few people ever, ever experience. And I knew nothing of it, only that my children would spend some time, hopefully just a few weeks, not several months. Mm. And um, we started this journey where you just in the NICU, you don't, especially when you have extremely what, what my children were called extremely premature, they're micro preemies. They were the youngest babies and the sickest and the smallest in our facility. Mm. And so we sat there just staring at our children because we couldn't touch them. Our son Parker dipped to 14 ounces at his smallest mm. and Peyton was exactly 16 ounces, one pound at her tiniest. And so we would just sit there and life goes by in minutes and hours, not, not counting days. It was, let's get through this afternoon. Let's see how how they do, and it's a roller coaster ride. It is. There are good days where they seem like they're doing great. My goodness, wow, they're going to survive and they're going to be coming home. And then there are days where we wonder if we're going to have to say bye that day. And uh, my daughter, she had a grade three brain bleed, which is fairly severe. And so we didn't know if she was going to survive what sort of disability she would face. And she had holes in her heart and she was too weak and tiny and sick to have surgery. So we just would sit there watching, hope that medicines would work. Whereas our, our son Parker, he was weaker and he had a lot of struggles, collapsed lungs and a lot of issues. And at three weeks along, he needed emergency surgery. And somehow they were able to do surgery on a one pound baby and save his life. He had perforations in his bowels. It's called neck, necrotitis, a condition that is more common in very premature babies. Mm -hmm. And he survived it and we thought all was well. And we reached that, that month milestone. And I remember talking to our nurses who became family to us over that time saying, I think they're going to survive. They made it, they made it a, a month. And I remember the nurse saying, yeah, let's wait till we get to two months and then we can say it's safe. And sure enough, just days later, my husband and I were called to a conference room, which is typical when you have long-term patients there. And we thought we were just getting our weekly update on our babies. Mm -hmm. And instead we were told that our son had suffered a massive brain injury and we were told that most likely it was the stress of surgery from a few weeks back. And it's, it's if you were in a car accident, a head-on collision, that's the type of injury he suffered. So we were told that day that if he survived, he would slowly become paralyzed, he would have cerebral palsy, and he may be a vegetable. There was no telling. And we just were in shock. It was something we never expected because we thought if we could get through the first day, the first two days, the first week and month, that he was alive. And we didn't realize that 
there were long, long-standing effects of uh, the premature birth that we were going to face. Oh, oh, girl, the kind of pain and grief that you've gone through and still go to through to this to your point earlier is unlike any other it's amazing yep we have to we we have to be strong and that's what we learned over time that even though at one point we had lost one child and eventually we're going to lose a second we had to be strong we couldn't my husband and I early on said we're the glass half full type people Mm -hmm. we always said you know we need to look at things positively these are these things that happen are out of our hands. And we had a couple weeks after we learned that injury of, of our son's health that we had to make this decision. Do we keep him alive or do we let him go? And it's the hardest decision a parent ever has to make. And it's something that I would never wish on anyone. And as the weeks went by, we learned that, you know, if he wasn't, he needed more surgeries and he was very sick and we just decided we never wanted him to suffer. So uh, we called all of our family back after they had just been here a month before for a funeral Mm. and all of our family came to town. We had our rabbi come to bless our son and 55 days after he was born on August 16th, we ended care and Mm. we held our son And we read stories to him and we talked to him and we didn't want him to see any pain in our eyes and any sadness. We just stayed strong and he passed away. After about four hours of uh, breathing and living on his own, he passed away and joined his sister in heaven. And within two months, we lost two of our children. And and planned a second funeral. (laughs) Exactly. It was... It was something you just never expect. And at that point, it was one of those decisions where I I had a really hard time and I wrestled with um, my faith and any beliefs for that matter. And I remember calling my childhood rabbi the night before. My mom said, please call her. She's expecting you. Just talk to her. The night before we ended care and I called her and I just, I had that why me, the woe is me moments of this is not fair. And why is this happening to me? And people keep telling me that everything happens for a reason or God gives us only what we can handle. And I had a really hard time believing in anything at that point because I was so angry and so sad that this was my life and my children were not going to be here. And my rabbi said something that will always live with me. She said, God doesn't give us what we can handle. He helps us handle what we've been given. And those are words that I live by to this day. And I will say that that night before our son passed, my husband and I were crying in bed all night, barely, barely slept, because how do you sleep when you're going to end care? But that night after he passed away, we slept like babies and Mm -hmm. we woke up and we just felt so good and so at peace. And we knew right then that we made the right decision. Mm now how do you even rally after that for your third that's still needing you to fight for her you know we we had no other choice that's it 
were their parents. And we had to figure out a way to parent and to be a mom, to be a father to children in heaven, but also here on earth. And so we would go to the NICU and we would cry a lot because, you know, it is tough when you see people, other families in the NICU that are there for a couple weeks or people that tell us that, oh, we didn't plan on this child or, oh, we don't want them, but mm -hmm. they're here. And here we were sitting, watching these people come and go. And I had one survivor that I was hoping would survive, not even sure. And we had to stay strong for her. We had to show her that she's so loved and that she's meant to be here. And it's something that we still will always live with and always have to work hard with is that as our survivor grows and becomes this beautiful little girl that she is five years later, mm -hmm. I never want her to have that survivor's guilt to wonder why am I here and my brother and sister are not. And that's how what keeps us going. We stay strong and we find ways to honor our children and, um, and make sure that they are loved and make sure that they are known. Mm -hmm. Now, Peyton, the diva of the NICU, yes. <laughs> tell me about the remainder of her time uh, in the NICU before she was um, released to go home. Well, she always, uh, she was the fighter. She was always the fighter from, from day one. And I mean, boy, all three of our children fought so hard. And I think uh, our, our NICU nurses and doctors remind us it was that, that diva attitude that really is what helped her. She had, you know, several issues down the road. And as she got to about three months, we said, wow, you know, I think she's going to come home. And she was growing and she was getting stronger. And she, at three and a half months, needed eye surgery, emergency eye surgery. She had a condition that she would have gone blind if uh, she did not get surgery, but luckily doctors caught it early enough. She survived that. She did great. She came home at just shy about about four months old. She was only five pounds at four months old, wow. so she was a tiny thing. Yeah. She came home on a oxygen and a monitor, and it was chaos from from that day forward. We had doctors coming in and out of the house for for many months, and we had therapists. She worked with. Uh, at some points, five therapists a week would come to work with her, and it was a it was a long journey. She though slowly gained strength and and became who she is. And we, we didn't know what to expect. We thought she was going to have a lifetime of disabilities and some delays. And she did for a long time where she didn't crawl. When most babies are walking at one year old, she didn't even crawl until she was 16 months old. Mm. She had weak lungs. She still does to some extent. And she spent her first nine months on oxygen. So we were wow. toting around a tank in our house and and a monitor and a backpack to go anywhere, which we kind of stayed locked up because of her weak immune system. But she overcame so much. And, and at three years, she graduated from everything. And she started kindergarten on time this year at five years old, something we never expected. And to this day, she still is the youngest baby at 22 weeks gestation. She's the youngest baby to survive in our area. Quite the miracle. Oh my goodness. And then you sent her off to kindergarten. Yes, which is still hard to believe. Every day when I watch her go off, she's a petite little thing, uh -huh. but she is, she's a spitfire and that's what get, keeps her going. So I'm reminded every day of all three of them because she's got the personality of all three within her. Mm. Now you 
you did mention early on in our conversation that grief doesn't go away. Uh, and I actually had a friend, um, describe grief like a tidal wave, uh, how you never really know when it's going to hit you, but it's so all encompassing when it does. Mm -hmm. Um, and over time the tidal waves become less frequent, but to your point, always there. Uh, tell me a little bit about how that journey has been for you and your family. It's tough because I think that around in society, people don't talk about child loss. And that's why I think over the years I've become so public and have become a voice for that because it is something that people just assume, you know, you have a loss and you should just brush it under the rug. And I remember going to therapy after my son passed away and a few months after, and I don't even think Peyton was home from the NICU yet, but I remember asking my therapist, well, why, why am I still so sad? Why am I crying every day? Shouldn't I be over this? And she said, you will never get over the loss. You learn to live with it, but you never get over. You have to find a way to move forward in life. You don't ever move on from the loss. You move forward. And that really stuck with me because it's so true that people just don't seem to talk about it, whether it's a miscarriage, a stillbirth or infant loss. They just they expect you to, you know, get over it. And you never do. You learn to figure out how to live. And I think I just learned that the tears are going to come. And at work, it may happen. It may happen when I'm in the car. It may happen when I'm just talking to a stranger or a friend. But there are little things that can bring it up. And it happens at the most random times. And it's true that over time, the grief, the hurt, the pain, it lessens, but yet it never goes away. And a good example this year, I knew when, when this year arrived, 2018, I thought, wow, this is the milestone year I have been dreading since the day our children were born, the five-year mark. There are so many big milestones when they hit five, and kindergarten was the major one where I always knew that was going to be so tough that instead of three backpacks, I was going to be getting ready and those signs. It was just one just one child. And it's those questions when a random person says, how many children do you have? And I have to think, oh, just one, because I don't want to go into this deep conversation, or I don't want to maybe have that same look that I get all the time of sorrow and sadness and sometimes pity of, oh, you lost children. I could never go on in life. Well, here I am. You have to learn how to. So the grief hits at the most random times. And it's something that it's going to happen, you know, when I'm 50 years old, when I'm 80 years old, it will always be there. But you learn to embrace it. And I cry. But I also think of happy tears a lot. And those tears over the years, my husband and I can laugh about things. And through those tears, we may laugh and think, oh my goodness, could you imagine Peyton and Abby together. I mean, <laughs> they were identical, so we know what they look alike, but I have to think Abby was the nicer of the two <laughs> because Peyton can be such a pain. So we can laugh as we cry. You have to because that's how we remember our children. Hmm. Well, I truly believe that every child changes the world you know, with their birth in some capacity. And all three of your children have done that know, as you speak about them and, um, share the happy memories alongside of the sad, uh, you know, your words are 
recalling their life and truly changing the world. And I think that's just such an amazing heart. It's very hard, mm-hmm. but it's amazing all the while. Um, and I, you know, I can't help but think to your point that pregnancy and infant loss awareness is coming up in the middle of October. And to your point, very few people even spoke openly about it for not really until maybe the last five years, maybe a little, a few more people are talking about it, mm-hmm. uh, probably just with the evolution of social media. But, um, you know, from a mom that truthfully has not even come close to experiencing the loss that you have. Thank you for not brushing it under the rug. Uh, I think mother motherhood's hard and life is hard. And the more we can bring to light the hardness so other people can realize, like can find safety and normalcy in it, um, the better. And so, gosh, I, um, so appreciate your, um, vulnerability and you're willing to come to the table and talk about it and shed tears. And for those three babies, gosh, their Mm -hmm. lives really are impacting so many. Thank you. Yeah. It's, um, we're, we're pretty amazed to see how many lives that they've touched and it shows that it doesn't matter how long that they spend on earth. It, they can still make an impact on other people's lives. And I think that, um, with pregnancy and infant loss awareness, I think one of the reasons I've been so vocal in been so raw and shared some of the most difficult moments and the moments that I'm not happy that I do have, I have guilt that my babies couldn't stay within my womb. I have Mm -hmm. guilt. I have sadness. I have anger, but I think that I'm hoping that I can show others that it's okay it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad. You have every right. And it's okay to talk about your children Mm -hmm. just because it may make someone uncomfortable. That shouldn't stop you from speaking and loving your children and Mm -hmm. saying their name. Mm -hmm. And the more you talk about them, the more their legacy lives on, you know, very true Um, with so many people. And I certainly am just one of lots of people that have been influenced by their story and influenced by your story and your bravery and your tenacity. Uh, I know you say that you just have to, you just have to saddle up, but holy cow, Stacy. <laughs> well, thanks. Some, some days are harder than others. Some days I just need a good cry. I'm getting that this morning. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> yes. I have my moments. Oh my gosh. Well, all of us do. Uh, Again, thank you for sharing your story and for being a spokesperson in a lot of ways to uh, what so many moms have walked through, uh, such unbearable loss uh, and grief. So thanks for being here, Stacy. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You know, Steph, I've heard Stacy's story before, but hearing it again in your conversation just brought back all the emotions and all the tears. It is so hard to hear. Oh gosh, it, it really is. And while it was an incredibly difficult conversation, I'd say for me to have, especially given that I have nowhere near the experience of loss that Stacy has experienced in her life. I also, and not just me, we as a network know that these are stories that so many moms carry with them, carry stories of infertility and pregnancy loss and child loss in Stacy's case. Um, gosh, they are hard, but 
as she mentioned, so much better to bring them to light, to talk about it rather than dusting it under the rug. I love that she says to other moms who've experienced loss, it's okay to share your children's story. When someone asks you how many children you have, it's okay to include the ones that you've lost and say their names mm-hmm. and give them give them moments of time and, um, and make their lives matter. And that's what Stacy's doing. And, you know, she didn't even talk about this, but she and her husband have started an incredible non-for-profit organization where they supply books to NICUs so that parents can read stories to their little babies in NICUs. And I love hmm. it. And you can learn more about that on her blog, perfectlypayton.com. And Peyton is spelled P-E-Y. T-O-N, perfectly patent. That's awesome. Well, to your uh, point about, you know, encouraging people to talk about their losses and those babies that are lost, I, I loved the fact that she spoke so candidly from, you know, to the place of hurt of losing those kids, but also to a place of she was able to speak about their lives so with joy yes. in a lot of ways. And yes. uh, as I mentioned in the interview, I, I believe every single baby changes the world. Yes. And by Stacy talking about those babies, their legacies are continuing to live on. And I, I really love that. For sure. And, you know, even Abby, who, who's the one who was born first and died within mm-hmm. hours, mm-hmm. you know, she, her life was so important because she was the fighter. She kept her brother and sister in the womb even longer and mm-hmm. almost, you know, her sacrifice enabled Peyton, her twin, her identical twin to live. And it's, you know, and that really is, makes me emotional and gives me goosebumps to think about even though she only breathed outside of her mother for two hours, she had such an impact on this world and it's just incredible. And, and I just give someone who kudos and props and accolades to Stacy for being brave to share that. Cause I know it's hard to share that story over and over again, but she does it with such grace and eloquence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, uh, with the upcoming, um, remembrance day on October 15th, we want to make sure to stop to acknowledge certainly Stacy, but all of the other moms that have experienced heartache like this, uh, And yeah, our hearts go to you, our encouragement to share your story, uh, because you're not alone. You're the only one that has gone through this. Um, But we do stop to remember those babies and the pain that you've walked through. Thanks to all of you for joining us, and uh, special thanks to our sponsor, Chasing Fireflies. Yeah, thanks guys for staying tuned. You can check out ChasingFireflies.com to see their adorable costumes, and you just might win one. Chasing Fireflies is giving away $150 credit so you can snag some of those irresistible costumes for your kiddos. We have the details on how to win on Instagram. Check it out on our account, which is at City Moms Blog. Until next time, moms, you are doing a fantastic job. And as I always say, don't forget to just add sprinkles. For show notes and more information on this episode of Just Add Sprinkles Celebrating Motherhood, please visit citymomsblog.com. There, you can find more information on our topic, our guest, and our host. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to give a review wherever you listen to podcasts so we can keep encouraging moms to celebrate motherhood and just add sprinkles.